time to do when we were in Manchester, and all the years that we'd lived there, we never did it. Uh, and right in the centre of town, there's a, a library called the John Rylands Library, and it's most famous, probably, because it holds the, early, the UK's earliest copy of a part of the Bible. It's a piece of parchment containing some verses from the Gospel of John. It's the very book of the Bible that we're preaching through at the moment. And this piece of parchment is dated to the second century AD. That's possibly like a hundred or so years after Jesus died. And I'd never seen it. And so I found myself in Manchester with a spare day. And me and a friend had gone out around town. And in the morning, we'd gone to the football museum. And we'd had a look at uh, Jeff, Jeff Hurst's 1966 World Cup winning shirt, which was, you know, that was one thing off the bucket list. And then he turned to me around lunchtime and said, well, what are we going to do this afternoon? What, like, what do you want to do? And so I said, do you know what? As silly as it sounds, there's this one thing that I've always wanted to do in Manchester. So let's do it. And so we headed to the John Rylands Library, which was amazing. It looked like Hogwarts, if you can picture it. These kind of big, they don't build them like that anymore. Do you know what I mean? These are big stone monuments. Um, and we're walking uh, around, and we find this display, and behind the glass is this small shard of parchment. There it is. You can see it there. Now, you'd miss it. If you weren't looking for it, you'd miss it. It was, it was like really, really tiny in the part of a bigger display, um, and it doesn't look like much, but honestly, I was blown away because here was a copy of John's Gospel, chapter 18 to be precise, and it was written in Greek with a translation alongside, and you can see the translation here, and I got my phone out, and I opened my Bible app, and I read along the same passage of scripture on my Bible app that was written on the translation that's written on that piece of parchment right there. And it's such a small, nondescript thing. Like I said, you could walk right past the thing. And if you don't know what it is, you'd miss it entirely. And it blew my mind. And here's the reason why. Because as we've been going through our preaching series in John, we're looking at the, at the Gospel of John, that we may believe. The last uh, words in the Gospel of John are that these things were written that we might believe. And that's why we've called this preaching series, That We May Believe. And the writer John, one of the disciples, we read that these words were recorded by John, who was in the room when Jesus spoke the words that we're reading today. John, who was an eyewitness to the events that took place and recorded them. Those words have lasted until today. And you can go to the John Rylands Library and look at John's words copied not long after they were written. There were people alive when this parchment was made that would have been alive when John was alive. Eyewitnesses to the events who could have corroborated their accuracy, written in parchment that are exactly the same as the words that are on my Bible app, that are in the Bibles that you're holding in your hands this morning, the same words. So we can have confidence in the truth of the words that we're reading today because we've got historic records of their accuracy. There's a piece of parchment that if you had the right levels of access, you could go to Manchester, you could open up that glass and you could hold it in your hand. There's something there, there's a little touch point that helps us to show the accuracy of what it is that we're holding in our hands this morning, which is why perhaps I was so blown away. And so right there in the middle of the John Rylands Library, I took a moment and just prayed and thanked God for the assurance that we can have in him and the assurance that we can have in his word. It was a really sweet uh, thing to have been able to have done. And so as we approach John's gospel today, I urge you to do so with an open mind, to review what's being said in its historic context, because we can see the historical accuracy of it, recorded history, and how this history can have a profound impact on our lives today. As we've been preaching through uh, the series of John, we've been looking at the big themes that help to shape how we live our lives today. And as Jesus is speaking to his disciples, we get to another very big theme in this chapter today, and that is the role of the Holy Spirit as one who will come to guide us after Jesus leaves. It's here where you might need your Bibles. Today, as we're at the end of chapter 15 and into John chapter 16, which is page 1084 in your Bibles, that's where we'll be reading from. 
were actually introduced to the Holy Spirit slightly earlier, though. So if you flick just one page back, in John chapter 14, you'll find a heading there, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And if I read that to you, just from verse 16 a second, uh, it says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. So that's recorded there in John 14, and we flick our Bibles over to where we are today, page 1084, the end of chapter 15, and we can read a little bit more about who the Holy Spirit is and the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the Bible uh, chapter there is titled, The Work of the Holy Spirit. And so our introduction to the Holy Spirit is one who will come to us as another advocate, who will be with us forever, who will live in us and with us. Jesus returns to the subject of Holy Spirit here, and we're going to spend our morning looking at the Holy Spirit and who he is, uh, why this is good news for us, and how we should be more expectant to see the Spirit working among us today. Is that okay? Great. Well, we're going to read together. We'll start John 15, uh, verse 26, and then we'll go right the way down to John 16, chapter 15. And it says this, When the Advocate comes, who I I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, and you must testify because you have been with me from the beginning. All this I've told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming where anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. They'll do such things because they've not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because you've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it's for your good that I'm going away, because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people don't believe in me, about righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it's from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. Keep a finger in there because we'll be returning to it a little bit later on. So the work of the Holy Spirit, the first thing I suppose we should probably ask ourselves is who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, If you're fairly new to Christianity, you might have heard the term the Holy Spirit, but actually not be too aware of how the Holy Spirit uh, works today and who the Holy Spirit is. So The Bible calls him the Holy Spirit, or as our passage says today, he's sometimes called our advocate. Some other translations of the Bible might call him our counselor or our helper. The passage also calls him the spirit of truth. And when we read these terms like advocate and counselor, uh, these terms are actually often used and could be translated in a legal sense, somebody who advocates for another in terms of pleading one's cause or defending or comforting someone. In the same way that your lawyer or your counselor might defend you in court, they might advocate for you on your behalf. That's the way in which the word's being used here when we read the word advocate. And there's a lot of misconception when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I think, and a lot of mystique. It's like some sort of Christian version of the force in Star Wars. We don't really get it and know what it is, but if we learn to use it well enough, then maybe that'll be okay. Actually, that's not the case at all. 
The Holy Spirit isn't an inanimate force. The Holy Spirit isn't an it. The Holy Spirit is a person and thought of in personal terms. We can draw close to a personal Holy Spirit and is someone who is in us and with us. He's been sent by Jesus and the Father so that we're equipped to live for God and know his presence with us. He's someone who points us to Jesus and helps to connect us to God. That's who the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is a part of the Trinity, and Trinity is another big word that we use quite a lot in uh, church circles, and this is where we're getting into some really meaty theology, but if you know it well enough, you'll know that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are three persons in one. They're fully and equally God, yet they're all distinct in their own characteristics and functions. And if they weren't distinct persons, then we couldn't be drawn into a relationship with the Father through the Son by the Spirit, as we're told is the case when we're reading. We're also told in these chapters, and we understand from continuing to read through into the New Testament and into Acts, that the Holy Spirit replaces Jesus on earth. When Jesus is risen and appears again to the disciples, he gives a very strict instruction. You know that Holy Spirit that I told you about before I went to the cross? Well, don't do anything until he comes, because when he comes, the power will come as well. Acts 1 tells us in verse 4, on one occasion, while he was eating with with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about, like we're reading in, in John today. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then a little bit later on in verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So wait for the Holy Spirit, but when the Holy Spirit comes, power will come upon you, and you will be equipped to do what I've called you to do. That's why you're to wait. And when the Holy Spirit does come in, in Acts 2, he comes in power. It says it's, he comes in the, like the blowing of a violent wind, and he brought with him boldness and empowerment for the task that God had given the disciples. The Holy Spirit comes and remains with us on earth so that, as John 14 says, we're not left as orphans, so that God remains with us and draws us close and empowers us to act in his name and be witnesses to the world about who Jesus is. So that's who the Holy Spirit is, and that's what the Holy Spirit is here to do. I want to talk a little bit further about what the Holy Spirit does. We know the Holy Spirit is a person, somebody who draws us close and somebody who we can have a personal relationship with. It's good to know what the Holy Spirit does. Simply, he helps, he helps to connect us to Jesus and to the Father to empower and equip us on earth to be Christ's ambassadors, to tell people about him and see mighty things done in his name and for his glory. As our passage says, the Spirit helps us to testify about who Jesus is. In that sense, the Holy Spirit empowers us to tell the world about Jesus. We've been given very clear instruction from Jesus about what our role is. We're to be his witnesses. We're to testify about him. Being a Christian isn't a spectator sport. We're supposed to get off the bench and into the game. If you met a footballer who said, hey, well, what do you do for a living? I'm I'm a footballer, you know, probably earn quite a lot of money if you're a footballer. So yeah, I'm I'm doing quite well. Uh, And uh, then you find out later that they'd never kicked a football, ever, not in their whole life. Would you still call them a footballer, or would you think, well, hold on a minute, maybe here there's something going on and this person isn't the footballer that we thought? Actually, being a Christian, part of the job description is to tell other people about what you believe. That's, that's what the, the instruction that we're given by Jesus. And as we saw in Acts, the disciples, empowered by the Holy Spirit, were moved to tell, act and tell people about Jesus. And the rest of the New Testament is full of stories of people empowered by the Spirit, telling people about Jesus, moving town to town and city to city. And that work carries on to this day through us. 
The Holy Spirit brings us closeness to Jesus so that we can feel and experience and know love and forgiveness and that these things might all be made known to us. The Holy Spirit is in us and helps to connect us to Jesus and to the Father. That's true for us as Christians. Uh, and it's also help, he also helps others to know Jesus too. When we pray, we ask for God to reveal himself to people who don't know Jesus yet for the first time, and we look to the Holy Spirit to convict hearts and to draw people near to God. It's on the understanding that there's nothing that we can do to convince people. We can't shake people and say, believe, you must believe, you've got to do it. It's the work of the Holy Spirit that convicts and draws people to God. It's here that salvation comes, and the Holy Spirit's in us and remains so. Our passage today, if you pick your Bibles back up, if you withdraw your finger and have a look from verse 8, it says this, when he comes, he'll prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. The Spirit brings conviction of sin and an awareness of judgment, but he also brings an assurance of righteousness. And it's the devil who now stands on trial and condemned because the Holy Spirit helps us to connect us and to feel at peace with our gift of righteousness through Jesus. We know, we feel that we're saved and added to the family of God because the Holy Spirit helps us to connect us to what Jesus did on the cross for us. If you were here last week, you'll have heard Rich talk a little bit about this. He said uh, that if you've declared your belief in Jesus as your savior, then you no longer stand condemned, but all of your wrongdoing is paid for by Jesus on the cross, and it's replaced with his perfection. That's what righteousness means. We're seen as perfect in God's eyes, and the Spirit confirms that in us. It's an amazing gift for us. Verse 13 of our passage today also tells us that the Spirit will guide us in all truth. The Spirit gifts us with the knowledge of who we are in Jesus, and he guides us in it and helps us to set the truth of this in our hearts. And as we've explored earlier in our series in John, Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And now we're told that the Spirit of truth will guide us in all truth. Well, what is that truth? It's Jesus. Jesus is the truth. And the Holy Spirit helps to confirm that in us. Bible commentator Don Carson explains well why this is good news for us. It will come up behind me so you can read quite small, sorry. The gift of the Spirit is so great that Jesus' departure must be seen as, uh, seen as for the disciples, good. When the Spirit comes, he extends the ministry of Jesus in ways the disciples could not have foreseen. In particular, he convicts the world of its sin, its righteousness, and judgment. The Holy Spirit presses home the world's sin despite the world's unbelief and convicts the world of sin because they don't believe in Jesus. The convicting work of the Spirit is therefore gracious. It's designed to bring men and women of the world to recognize their need and to turn to Jesus. And that's why Jesus then gives us the instruction to the disciples and by the extension to us as well that we must testify to who Jesus is. As Christians, we're supposed to tell people about Jesus. Like I said, that's in the job description. But encouragingly, we've got the Holy Spirit to help us in doing it. Jesus on earth could only be in one place at one time. And as we've been reading through John, we've seen that crowds flocked to him just to be near him, just to be near his presence. That's how amazing he was. The encouragement for us is that the Spirit connects us all to Jesus in all places at all times. And that's why that good, that's good news for us. The Holy Spirit draws us in and draws us near, no matter who you are and no matter where you are. And that's good news for us. I don't know if you've ever been totally, totally alone or felt kind of totally alone without any easy way of being able to get hold of somebody or to find out where you are. I mean like lost, lost. Like you haven't got a map, your phone signal's gone, you are totally and utterly lost. 
a few years ago, I took a, a work trip to China, and um, we got to the last day, and unexpectedly, I found myself with a free half day. And so I'm sat in my hotel, and I'm thinking, well, what on earth am I going to do? You know, sat in Beijing, thinking about how I spend the last day before I fly home the next day. And the first thing that popped into my head is, I might never, ever be back in China again. I need to go and see the Great Wall of China, right? That's the one thing you're supposed to do. Go to China, you don't see the Great Wall of China, you go home disappointed, right? So I thought, okay, it's time for me to go. See if I can go and see it. I've got a spare afternoon. Let's go. So I went downstairs to the concierge desk. I went to the, to the information desk and said, um, look, I've got, it's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I've got a spare afternoon. Can you help? get me to the Great Wall of China. I really want to go and see it. And he said, oh, I'm so sorry, sir. All the excursions left this morning. We don't do any afternoon excursions. You're too late. You've missed it. And I was gutted. I thought, oh, how, I mean, what am I going to do? So I said, please, you know, is there nothing you can do? Is there no way that you could help me go and get to see the Great Wall of China? And he said, okay, what, one sec. I'll phone my mate. And so he phones his mate up, and he's talking on the phone to his mate, and he comes back to me, and he says, well, my mate will take you. He'll take you for X amount of money. And I thought, well, Fair enough, you know, I want to go and see, I'll do it, deal. And so I wait downstairs, and about 20 minutes later, his mate comes up in a beaten-up car, and he kind of puts me in the back, and off we go. And we go, it's about an hour and a half's drive from my hotel, and so we're driving further and further into rural China, and I'm thinking, this is going to be great. There's no downsides to this. This is all going to be fantastic. It's here I should note that he doesn't speak a lick, speak a lick of English. I don't speak any Mandarin. I don't, I don't know a single word. And so I'm driving happily in there. And so we get there, and he parks up in this car park, which by now is quite empty, because all the excursions have kind of left for the day, because it's a little bit too late. And he does this. I'm like, okay, well, I take that to mean you'll stay here, wait for me, and I'll go up this hill and see what happens. And so I walk my way up this hill, I get all the way to the top, and there it is. It's right there. And because all the excursions had left for the day, I was the only one there, completely alone. And I mean, really alone. I didn't have any phone signal in my pocket. I didn't have anything. I was basically trusting on the word of this guy that he'd still be in that car park when I got back down the hill again. And he was, and it was amazing. And so I had this amazing experience that I never realized I was going to have. And it was only on the journey home that the realization suddenly dawned on me. What if he'd left? Like, what if he'd just gone? Nobody knows I'm here. I haven't got my phone. Like, literally nobody knows where I am right now. I'm an hour and a half into the middle of a jungle. Like, nobody would find me ever again. What a silly thing to have done with no phone signal and no nothing. Like, I mean, like, totally, totally alone. And as you can see, I'm, you know, I'm standing here. I'm all right, and it all kind of worked out. I wouldn't recommend doing it, though, if you're, uh, yeah, if you're ever there. Safety first. But, I mean, here's the amazing thing about life as a Christian. Once you've accepted Jesus into your heart, you are never, ever alone. Even if you find yourself at the top of a mountain an hour and a half into the jungle with nobody else for miles and no phone signal, even in that moment for us as Christians, we're not alone. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart and is always there to guide and to help and to point you to the Father and to the Son. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, you'll never run out of signal. You can go to the most remote part of the world and the Spirit will still be there with you. Isn't that an amazing? What an amazing promise that is for us as Christians. Never alone. Always have the power of the Spirit there to guide us and to help us. So we know who the Holy Spirit is. We know what the Holy Spirit does. The last thing that I want to kind of uh, help us to understand this morning is what we should then expect. And I feel quite passionately about this one because if the Holy Spirit has been sent and gifted to us to connect us to Jesus and to bring power in Jesus' name that we might act and see mighty things done, then we should be far more expectant than we are that we'll actually see it happen. If the Holy Spirit is in us, then we should be much more aware of his role in us and through us as we navigate life. 
when the Holy Spirit came in power in the book of Acts, the people were empowered to act. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit comes in power. The people were empowered to act. And we then saw that happen in the book of Acts. And I'm so grateful for the role of the Holy Spirit in my life, providing comfort when I need it, thinking about those moments of sorrow or sadness that you've had in life and how the Holy Spirit can come and draw you close and bring comfort in those moments. If I'm scared, I can pray to God and His Holy Spirit can draw near and bring me peace and confidence. And when I'm happy, the Holy Spirit's joy is there as well. Last week, Rich talked about the fruits of the Spirit, which are listed in Galatians 5 as love and joy and peace and forbearance, which is patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And we talked about how the Holy Spirit helps to produce these fruits in our lives. When we become Christians, we actively seek to be more like Jesus in our conduct. And it's the work of the Spirit in us that's producing these fruits that we might be empowered to act through them, to be more patient and more joyful and to exercise self-control and faithfulness, especially in a world where things like self-control and faithfulness can sometimes be quite lacking. We're also told in the Bible about the gifts of the Spirit, those gifts that we get from the Holy Spirit to encourage us when we come together to build us up. And these are recorded in 1 Corinthians 12, and they're behind me as well. It says this, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for common good. To one there's given through the Spirit a message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one Spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between Spirits, to another one speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another one the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. And I tell you, there's one thing that has been quite amazing to see over the last few weeks. Actually, as we've been in our worship services and our Sunday meetings, we've actually seen some of these gifts uh, 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 take place as we've come together. We, as we, when we come together, we expect God to speak, and it's the gifts of the Holy Spirit that help this to happen. And a few weeks ago, for the first time in a, a, a long time, we had a tongue, an interpretation of a tongue at one of our worship services. It's a really beautiful thing to hear, and it's something that we should be expecting as God lays these things on our hearts as we're prompted by the Holy Spirit to share that we might be pointed and connected to our Father. These things are given to us so that we might be built up. They're not things to be apprehensive about, but expectant for, because we read about them in our Bibles, and we should be seeing them outworked among us when we come together. Whenever we come together at Gateway Church, we have a Sunday morning service. I don't know if you know, but if you were to turn up at 10 o'clock, then you would find a group of us all gathered together to pray before our morning services. We come together and we pray, and one of the things that we prayed this morning is, Lord, help us to be more expectant that you might speak to us this morning, that we might be encouraged, emboldened as we come together and meet, that we'd be more expectant to look for ways in which your Holy Spirit's meeting even among us. We prayed that this morning, and we want to be more expectant that we'd see that happen when we come together. I want to be more expectant that we'd see those sorts of things. I want to be more, I want to be empowered by the Spirit to tell people about Jesus, to be bolder in sharing my faith. I want to see the Holy Spirit working in my own life to make me more patient and gentle and joyful and controlled. I try my best, but I still need the Spirit's help with those things. I want to see the Holy Spirit moving among us when we come together to bring healing and correction and encouragement that helps to bring us all closer to our Father in heaven. I want to see Jesus' name made famous as the Spirit works in us and reveals Jesus to us. We should be expectant to see those things. My question is, do you want to see them as well? Just me? We want to see them, don't we? We believe that, that that's what we want to see. And so we want to be expectant that that's what might happen when we come together so that it might build us up, point us to Jesus and to the Father, that we might be encouraged and emboldened to go from here and live our lives for Jesus as well. 
Later, we'll come back into worship, and I'll pray for us that we might be hungrier and more expectant of the Spirit's role in our lives. Because if the Spirit's in us and with us always, then we should always expect in all situations for the Spirit to be on the move. We should be more expectant of seeing him work in the everyday of life. And there's one final point that I want to make before we end, and that's the role of the Spirit in bringing us comfort in times of trouble. At the end of John 16, we get a summary from Jesus on what he's been saying to the disciples, and it's what we've been looking at over the last few weeks in our services. If you roll back in your Bibles, you'll see we're actually coming to the end of quite a long monologue that Jesus has been instructing and teaching the disciples. And Jesus' words to the disciples end this way. I've told you these things, as in all the things that we've been reading about over the last few weeks, so that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have trouble, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. I'm afraid there's one thing that you've probably noticed as we've been going through the last few weeks of John, and that is that the book of John doesn't promise that the Christian life will be a comfortable one, doesn't promise that the Christian life will be a perfect one. We're promised uh, instead that when things do get uncomfortable, that a comforter will come, one who will bring us peace and security. And that's the final point that I want to make, and it's sown throughout today's passage that we read, and that's that we should expect opposition, but that we can still know comfort and joy through the Spirit at work in us. In other words, we're called to be comforted, not comfortable. It's a very important application of today's passage and a very important role that the Holy Spirit plays for us. In the face of persecution or the storms of life, when you come up against trouble, we've got the Spirit's help and empowerment to withstand it. And there are many, many biblical examples of this at work, such as you could turn to Acts 7 and have a look at the story of Stephen, who's eventually stoned to death. And we see this incredible empowerment on him to testify to who Jesus is and this incredible peace about his own fate, even in the face of death. We haven't got time to read it now, but if you go home and have a look at Acts 7, you'll see how the Spirit helps uh, Stephen to testify to who Jesus is and to withstand persecution. Even at the point of death, it's recorded... Uh, as this in Acts 7, uh, verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, in spite of opposition and persecution, he was able to stand. Crucially, the Holy Spirit doesn't prevent persecution, and I'll, it, I'll underline it again. As Christians, we should expect trouble to come. We're called to be comforted, not comfortable. And as we continue to read through the New Testament, we'll find that the disciples themselves faced persecution. They were uh, killed for what they believed in the most part. As we've looked at the life of Paul in the New Testament, we see recorded that on five different occasions, he was given 39 lashes with a whip. We see stories of his imprisonment and his persecution. Even today, we still see Christians being persecuted and even killed for sharing their faith in countries where these things aren't permitted. So in and amongst all of that, if you knew that there was a good chance that you were going into a situation where things would not be easy for you and you might face persecution, what would give people the courage and the strength to do it, even though they know the dangers? The answer to that is the work of the Holy Spirit in us who guides us by giving us an assurance of the victory that's won by Jesus. He said he's overcome the world, his words, at the end of John 16. That's why we can take heart and be encouraged in all circumstances of life. We can have peace through Jesus, be guided by the Spirit, because of his victory that stands over and above any temporary trouble or circumstance that we might find ourselves in. 
Because Jesus' victory brings eternal life, an eternity without suffering or without trouble, but surrounded by the love of the Father in our heavenly home. That's the promise for us as Christians. So as we come to respond to what we read when we open John 16, there are three ways in which I think we can consider our response. I think the first is for us to be bolder in sharing our faith. Like I said, it's in the job description. It's a mandate that we've been given by Jesus. It's our role on earth, and the Holy Spirit's been given to us to help us to do it. And if you'd like to be bolder in sharing your faith, then we'd love to pray for you this morning that you might be empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. And we're going to come to a time in a bit where uh, there'll be some time to pray for one another, and it would be our pleasure to pray for that. Secondly, we need to look to the Holy Spirit for comfort. If you are here this morning and you feel like you're experiencing trouble or persecution or that life's throwing you a little bit more than you can handle at the moment, then we're to understand that, like I said, we're not promised a comfortable life, but we do have a comforter who can draw us close and bring us peace in the midst of storm. So if you need the Holy Spirit to come and bring you peace today in the midst of the storms of life, then in a minute there's going to be a moment and we can pray for you. And it would be my pleasure to do that. We'd love to pray for you that you might be comforted by the Holy Spirit in spite of the circumstances that you face today. And finally, I want to pray for us all that we'd be more expectant to see the Holy Spirit move in us and through us, to see him at work in our lives, to pray and be expectant that the power of God might come and bring change, to pray for healing and see it come, to pray and expect the fruits of the Spirit would be evident in us uh, and, uh, and growing in us as the Spirit works through us, and praying that we'd be inspired and empowered by the Spirit and his gifts as we minister to one another, even on mornings like this. It might be that as I've been speaking, you might feel like you've never felt the Spirit move in your own life in the way that we've been reading about today. There's an encouragement for you too. In John 7, Jesus says, If anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Those streams of living water are the Holy Spirit. All we need to do is ask, and the Spirit will fill us. In Acts 4, when the Spirit comes and fills people, it says, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were infilled, empowered, and then um, encouraged to act boldly through the Spirit. So, really, this morning, I want to spend some time praying for each other, that we might be filled with the Spirit and empowered to speak boldly about what we believe, to look and be expectant for what the Spirit might be doing in us and among us. So, if it's okay with you, let's all stand, and I'll pray for us, and Steve and the band can help to lead us in some song. We'll take communion in a bit, and then we're going to create some space, and we're going to pray for one another. It might be that even as we're here, you might feel encouraged by the Spirit stirring you uh, to, to bring an encouragement that might help us and guide us as we pray as well.